I'm Adriana, and this is Rebel with a Cause, a podcast where I bring the culture of diversity to your space through individuality and rebel moves. Tune in to hear stories, discussions, and bites from people fueled by passion, originality, and those famous rebel moves. Welcome everyone to the second episode of Rebel with a Cause. So today's topic uh, is Dear White People and I just have the perfect rebel for this lined up today. A little bit of a backstory, how I met this awesome woman. We met through different ethnic minority events, music events, we have been seeing each other online, talking to each other online and I believe it was at her TEDx debut at Stormont that I finally plucked up the courage, went up to her face and I said, right, you're my type of woman. Let's connect. Let's do things together. So this lovely lady, she's a TEDx speaker. She's an entrepreneur. She's a super mom, super coach, podcaster. And most of all, she's a my kind of a rebel. Welcome, Orla McKeaton. Oh, thank you so much for the intro. You're so sweet. (laughs) (laughs) And thanks for having me. Well, you're very, very welcome. So, as you know, you heard my first episode, you know a little bit what this is about. Um, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to highlight rebels in Northern Ireland, but the good rebels, think people, mm. people who are making a change, driving a change, and doing good things for others in our society, and you're the perfect person for it. So, I'm just going to go straight in with the first mm-hmm. question, and... Give me a bit of an idea of what were you like growing up, you know, like any any memories of being a rebel? So this is a really interesting one. I am one of seven children. I grew up in Belfast. I'm third of seven. So we grew up in a really, really happy, safe, privileged household. I My older brother... And my older sister were both really super, super, super intelligent. So I kind of, I was thinking about this last night and in prep for this. And I was never a rebel. Like I got bullied in school. I always felt like I wasn't cool enough. I wasn't good enough at sports. I definitely wasn't smart enough. I was loud. I was the class, not really the class. I was always joking around, but I wasn't Miss Popular, I wasn't self-confident, and I always felt like I wasn't good at anything. It didn't mean I wasn't happy, like I always part on, and that was fine, and that was great, but just, you know, coming, becoming more self-aware, and I think that's literally only been in the last year, you know, stopping and kind of taking check on myself and priorities and who I am and what my purpose is. I've kind of unpacked that from my own childhood. So I absolutely was not a rebel at all until about six months ago. <laughs> Very good. Does that surprise you? Okay. So how would you... Right, so you weren't then a rebel. So um, what about... Have you ever felt like you were different growing up? Was there anything you picked up on? Different way of thinking even, or different way of doing things, or you were happy to sort of follow the crowd? 
I always felt like there was something that I needed to be doing and I couldn't find it. Like I was always like, I had amazing friends around me and I had amazing family, but it was just kind of like, there's something missing here. And there's something that, that I'm not doing that I need to be doing. Like I remember I moved to Belgium for 10 years um, after I finished university. And I actually moved there because it was like, um, this isn't enough. I don't, I don't, maybe it is a, uh, I don't fit in here, but there was searching for something more. Yeah. And I remember moving to Belgium and being like, no, there's something else I need to be doing and keeping on going and trying to find it. I'd always kind of, my degrees in Spanish and theatre, and I'd always wanted to go and work in an international organisation. So I did. I worked in Eurocontrol in Brussels and worked there. And I was like, yeah, this is great, but there's something else. There's there, This doesn't, this isn't my purpose. And then I went to, I worked in fashion and that was amazing but it wasn't purposeful enough. So I think it wasn't a case of not fully fitting in, but it was chasing something. And I feel like now my purpose is giving back, bringing people together, fighting for equality, speaking up, like I have a voice, I must use it. I must commit to this purpose of equality and diversity and true diversity and inclusion. And that's where I feel like I can be that rebel, if you like, now where I'm using that purpose, I suppose. Absolutely. And for the purpose of this podcast, I'm going to sort of give an idea of rebel as a person who sort of questions popular or common beliefs, don't really care what others think, campaigns for unpopular topics, has a bit of a crazy crazy fashion style. I think this sort of sums you up a little bit, doesn't it? (laughs) So think we sort of nailed it now that yes you you are a bit of a rebel so mm-hmm. but am I I would really love to know that the drive the drive behind your rebellion so I had my son in 2012 I had been working and I'm just giving you the background because it's um it's uh the point kind of yes. so I was going out with his dad for four years he was a fashion designer Congolese Belgian guy when I got pregnant that kind of imploded so I moved home seven months pregnant um and uh came back home by standards outside my head I had the perfect life was working in fashion had this really cool boyfriend was at Paris Fashion Week was on blogs was on like this kind of great but kind of shallow successful being yeah and I'd moved back to Belfast back in with mum and dad had turned 30 was so pregnant and literally just felt like I had fucked up every can I curse in this Feel oh yeah everything. yeah feel free feel free <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not um, going to edit that one out <laughs> yeah so and I just I remember coming home and I was just so embarrassed and so ashamed and was just walking about Belfast and I've always stayed in touch with the friends I grew up with so I always had it was never a case of not having a support network like I always had them but it was just kind of the shame of coming back now having kind of unpacked that I realized that it's our conditioning in Northern Ireland and in Ireland of being a single parent like um the mother and baby institutions that were set up by the Catholic Church in I should know this uh, I think 
in the early 1900s, I think. Well, and don't ask like, me. I've only been here 15. I did research this for the talk and I haven't. Yeah. I kind of focused on the more recent ones because it's more relevant. The last one closed in the year 2000 in Belfast, right? Yes. Basically, if you got pregnant and you weren't married, you were thrown into these um, Homes, convents. Like, yeah, like, yeah. And babies. You had your baby. You There was a lot of abuse. There was a lot of, all the documentation is actually, they've just, a friend of mine, Rosemary Adasser, who's amazing, she just went to the UN to fight that the documentation wasn't destroyed, basically, and she succeeded in that. And basically, uh, kids disappeared. There was mass graves found in the South. There was a lot of stigma attached to single parenting, and I think that kind of stuck with me. Um, nothing was ever said to me directly. It was all from me, so I do think that came from my own judgment on other people and on myself. So I had the baby, and he was—he's a mixed race boy. It was fine, and then the stigma of that as well. Yeah. So being a white woman bringing up a mixed race baby, there is a stigma. There's still a stigma to white girls having babies with black men I could do a whole other podcast on that but I'll stick with where I am for now um and there was a thing happened where he was getting bullied because of his skin color yes so I went and spoke to someone about it and they were like no this isn't a thing this hasn't happened uh this isn't you know you must have made it up basically a six-year-old please and so it was then that moment, Adriana, sitting in a in an office, and that's where I was like, "Shit, no one was on my side." That's and that was as hard as single parenting is. That was the most isolating, most alone moment that I have ever had, and that's when I recognised my privilege. So I was used to someone always being able to. I was protected nearly by who I was, and then at that point, no one else wanted to help. It was all just, no, no, like you just forget, either forget it or, so I was like, shit, right. So started looking up um, policies and, you know, race issues here in Northern Ireland. Yes. And further and just realized that there is no support. And like there, we live in a racist society, whether we like it or not, institutionalized, institutional racism, systematic racism, the more I delved in the more I was shocked because I've lived in this and didn't even notice like it took my son getting bullied for me to step back and be like actually this is not okay and this is not right and when I saw that I'm not gonna sit and not do anything like absolutely not so that's just kind of my the point of me now and my drive and talking about it and raising the volume and people often don't want to hear about it especially people like me who are like I am peak white privilege I'm aware of that and I get feedback sometimes online from other white people who call me racist for using the term white privilege I get people questioning the facts like all I'm doing is sharing the facts I will give my well I'll give my opinion obviously um but I think there's a thing attached to privilege and whiteness that some white people think that it's a negative connotation and it's not. It's our society and it's our job to speak up on this and own it and commit to it because you can't talk about... um, you know, equality, like it's kind of trendy to talk about, you know, women's rights and gay rights and it's all intersectional. 
why aren't we talking about the rights of everyone? You know? Yeah, yeah. and that's that's a fair point. That's a fair point because sometimes I I feel, feel, and we had this conversation before that here's me and you, two white women, you know, fighting against mm-hmm. racism. What sort of right or ground we have to do this or, you know, why are we? Because I get questioned too whenever I engage in these conversations, you know, like, who do you think you are? You know, throwing around uh, the phrase white privilege. But hello, newsflash, the topic is dear white people. Uh, mm-hmm. We have to talk about it. And um, yeah, I, I love engaging in those conversations and I'm learning. I'm learning every day. Yeah, I did a podcast during the week about um, white privilege. And I remember whenever I was planning, and it's, I don't, it's terrifying putting it out there. Like it yeah. is terrifying because when I put it out there, I'm just straight away thinking, well, A, imposter. I just keep need to remind, keep reminding myself why I'm doing it. I'm a member of the human race. Of course, I can speak about this. And I'm an ally. Like I really believe that. Um, and I was thinking originally, right, I need to create a safe space so people can hear about this. And then I kind of stopped and was like, do you know what? Whenever we're talking about feminism to men, we don't create a safe space for them to feel okay. So why should we do that with race or with white privilege? We all, you know, there's there's like a check thing that I kind of talked about. If you, um, you know, how you kind of know that you're white privilege. Yeah. And it's little things like, can you um can you buy property or rent property in an area that you want to? When you behave, is it going to reflect how you behave? Are you afraid of that or aware that that's going to reflect your whole race? It's things like that, that, just little reminders. And maybe, you know, this is insane because we never need to deal with this and other people need to deal with this every single day. When there's law enforcement in your area, do you fear for your life? Maybe not so much in Northern Ireland, but is it going to come to that? Are we going to end up being in that place in 20 years, you know? And it's our job as white people to make sure that doesn't happen. And it's our job as rebels. And you're doing a fabulous job because the act of questioning is rare. And questioning your own beliefs is difficult, but it's it's rewarding. You know, questioning is, is a way to arrive at truth, but not many people feel comfortable. So... My next question is really that what do you, why do you think people struggle with standing up and speaking up? What is it that is holding them back? Um, do you think in, ter- in generally or in terms of whiteness? Um, I don't know which one do we, do we, let's go over the general because I don't, yeah, the white privilege might be a bit of a strong topic, but just mm. generally, if it's you know what's holding, what th- have you ever felt like something was holding you back from speaking up? I used to care way too much about what people think, so I am a people pleaser. My love language is um, is words of affirmation, so. I'm really working on not giving a shit on what people think. Like I, so that would have been my kind of holding me back from, yeah. and plus you kind of, comfort zone's great. Yeah. So when you're in your comfort zone, it's nice and it's snuggly and like everyone's happy and that's great. And let's just put our heads in the sand here and not speak up. 
I think it's that in a way. Accepting that we've grown up maybe in a really unjust and unequal society is uncomfortable too, you know. Um, being aware that that like it's not okay in terms of a lot of things. Yeah. And I suppose speaking up on that would have been um would have scared me a lot. And then you, you there's that like stigma of being the shouty, angry woman. Yeah, yeah. So And that's okay. We need to we kinda need to be angry to make change. So there's those, I suppose, yeah. And pissing people off by speaking up, then um the discomfort of realizing like the realization that we're living in a really fucked up world and you know it's easier to dig your head in the sand and then the being seen as this angry activist like which is fine now but I suppose that's why that's what would have held me back in the past how do you feel about that though you know do you think you come across strong and angry sometimes yeah, <laughs> I have been told by like because I mostly you know I well I talk a lot about race um on my social media and I've been told to reel it in because you know people don't want to hear about that and you know I sound a bit pissed off and I'm just kind of like you know what that's the point you know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna wrap it up in a party in a bow or like dress it up in a party dress to be like hey guys you know we, we're kind of racist here and we need to step this up. Um, I think I have to be angry. When it comes to the point where I'm angry and it affects my mood and my parenting and my work, then I need to reel it in. Like there was a day on Thursday there, I messaged you about something. Yes. I was having a really angry day. So everything was annoying me. And someone made a comment online about... I thought it was shame and woman. May not have been, may have been, who cares? It was thirsty. I've kind of like drawn a line under it. It's when I get angry to that point that it, when it's affecting other relationships, that's when I need to take a check. But you do. And now you have tools and you know yeah. how to deal with that. So Yeah, I can recognise whenever it's getting a bit too much. So, Have you ever had any role models growing up? Or t- t- tell me this, because I know you said at the start that you weren't really a rebel growing up. So if you could tell me or sort of give an idea, what were your role models growing up? And has that changed when you became a rebel? <laughs> um, so I grew up surrounded by strong women. Like my mum was bringing up um, seven children. Dad worked away loads, so she was like alone parenting wise a lot my granny had 15 children and she they were both so strong and I think so they would very much have been role models in terms of influencing yeah um that's changed a lot so then I went through a phase of role models being um the Spice Girls in the 90s I was like I think I was 15 or 16 I think yeah, I, yeah, I went through that stage remember <laughs> and like but that was amazing for people like us because maybe the rebel was always there inside me because I remember thinking oh my god like and Ginger Spice is my favorite Jerry Hollowell oh there you go she spoke up and like she didn't care and she like was just really outgoing and then I suppose whenever I worked in fashion there was more like role models in terms of um building businesses and now my role models are women 
who speak up about race issues. Like that's it. Like um, Emma Deberry, who is um, she's half Irish. She's an Irish um, writer, and she's her dad is Nigerian, so yeah. she's mixed race. And she wrote a book called "Don't Touch My Hair." Yes. And she, we, oh no, what? No, I wasn't with you. She was in Belfast last year, and I met her and was just kind of talking yeah. about real stuff. She's she's amazing at speaking up about uh, African hair issues mostly, and. Then there's Leila Saad, Renee Dolodge, like women who speak up about race with strength, with dignity, with enough anger to um, get the point across. So it's completely changed from before. And I think where I am in terms of role models is where that will stay because that's kind of my, I've found my purpose now, you know. Yeah. So I'm thinking that having your having experienced racism through LA was sort of a turning point in your life yeah how has that affected you as as an individual because yes I understand it's your son so obviously the passion and the love and and looking after the child kicks in but as an individual how have you changed I have really softened um in terms of being I suppose I wonder if softened the right word um that was such a massive turning point. Yeah. I think softened isn't the right word. Um, become more sensitized. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah. To anything race related. So, and I keep talking, I keep using the word, but it's just my, you know, that's, that's the point now for me. But I, even in terms of like, this is going to sound so stupid, but I need to be honest and authentic. But I used yeah. to call Elliot the boy. Right, yes. so I used to be like, "Oh, the boys doing whatever," and like post about that yeah. and talk about that. Yeah. But now I'm like, that has connotations to slavery, so I'm not going to call my mixed race son the boy anymore. Things like that. Okay. The words that I yeah. use, and that might sound hypersensitive, but I don't care because even then, whenever um I use emojis, yes. I don't use monkey emojis because I just don't, I just can't like, and it's just every single thing that I'm doing in terms of parenting and language with him and inclusion and learning about like the whole history of like the hair thing I talked about Emma DeBerry so the importance yeah. of his hair like before I kind of didn't really give a shit didn't really yeah. bother with it yeah. and now it's kind of like wow this is so important and such a massive part of his African side and we're not unfortunately we're not in touch with his dad at all anymore but with the family with his aunties and his grandparents we are so it's up to me to really promote his African side and celebrate it yeah so it's finding how I can do that here in Northern Ireland because there is like I think so the last sentence there was census there was um 31,000 non-white people here in Northern Ireland there's way more now so it's integrating with other people in the black and ethnic minority communities. Yeah. Which is doable. Like we're a small country, you know, um, 
and really promoting that in terms of action. So I do a storytelling for kids, which is called Still I Rise. Yes. And that's kind of um, reading books where there, to kids where there is representation, where we're celebrating like heroes, black heroes in history. We celebrate emotional health and well-being as well for kids. And it's just doing things like that. I've completely forgotten the question, by the way. I've gone off on a Oh, no, never worry. You know, you're talking about right still I rise. I love it. And, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> what was the question again? So we can never worry. What we're we gonna do, we're just gonna I'm just gonna throw you another one, the fresh one. How yeah, about that? <laughs> yeah, go for it, go for it. So would you encourage people to be rebels in a good way? hundred percent. A hundred percent. Like that's it. We have voices for a reason, you know, if there's something that you believe, action has got to be taken. There's got to be an action, you know, and there, you'll find your people, you'll find your tribe. There, tribe. there are people who are cheerleading you if that's what you need. That's kind of what I needed whenever I started off, like, speaking up. And that's, we need more rebels. We need, like, the way things are going in the world, change needs to be change needs to happen um we're recording this i'm sure this will be dated anyway in a period of um isolation because of the covid19 virus and i think for me this has kind of really put priorities in place that mass human connection and interaction and voices can make change you know yeah. and now's the time we need to rebel we need to just start saying no to injustice and promote using social media and using our voices to promote equality and justice and inclusion you know so yeah be that rebel be that rebel awesome thank you thank you thank you very much for coming on and having this awesome conversation with me i have no doubt we have ruffled some feathers today <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> but do we care? I don't no. think so. No. no. We're both rebels, but in a good way. And I think we are trying to do something good. So thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate you. And thank be a, you. Be a rebel. For, be a rebel. I know that's it. Thank you so much for setting up the podcast, Adriana. I know that you're gonna raise awareness on so many things that need to be spoken about and you're the queen rebel as far as I'm concerned so um I don't even need to say best of luck but I feel genuinely privileged that I'm on episode two of this so thank you so much for having me and yeah I can't wait to promote and listen back take care and stay safe you too thank you thank you big love